Today's episode of the Car Podcast, we discuss the Ford Fiesta SD specs, Ford's plans to introduce some new SUVs into the market, and the Mercedes-Benz X-Class pricing. We also get behind the wheel of the BAIC X25, the Suzuki Swift 1.2 GA, and the facelifted Toyota Prado. How's it going guys? Welcome to another episode of the Car Podcast. Joining me today is our Senior Associate Editor Ian McLaren. Hi Our Features Writer Valerian with Drums. Hi guys. And our Technical Editor Nickel Lowe. Hello everyone. So not a lot of uh, news going on this week, but there are some notable stories that we picked up that did well on the web. And the first one that did quite well is the Ford Fiesta ST specs were revealed 0 to 100 time and top speed. We heard this car was coming out with a 1.5 liter three-cylinder turbocharged engine. I think we were all skeptical, but now Ford has come out to say that it will do 0 to 106.5 seconds and have a top speed of 232 kilometers an hour. That makes it faster than the previous one and actually faster than a lot of attaches that are available today that have traditional two-liter four-cylinder engines. Nickel, uh, we know you're a Ford guy. What do you think about this? I don't know what to make of that comment, <laughs> but. Um, Yes, we all love the Ford Fiesta ST, um, and now obviously the new one is being launched, the new Fiesta, we're still waiting for it, for the local launch to happen, mm-hmm. um, uh, but we're all looking forward to the ST, and yes, as I say, the ST has always been one of our favorite, in, indeed, maybe the favorite small hot hatch of the group, and it, it was always the perfect balance in that car between the, the power and the handling. It didn't used to have the, the most power of, of all the hot hatches, the small ones, but this one is right up there. I mean, 147 kilowatt is, is quite a bit from 1.5 triple. And um, let's be honest, Ford does make the, the best triples out there. If you look at the, the one liter, the EcoBoost, mm-hmm. it's won so many engines of the year. The problem with the, with the three cylinder is sometimes it's a bit rough, um, but somehow Ford has managed to, uh, the one liter f- uh, definitely feels one of the smoother units out there. So I think this one probably also be out there. And the sound of a, of a triple can actually be very good. Sounds like a half a V6 with a with a firing order. So it might actually be a little fun car to drive again, and I, I really hope so. And as I say, it's more to do with the balance of the chassis and the the manual gearbox, um, which I hope this will have, eh? Manual. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's coming with six speed. So um, there we go. It should still be one of our favorite cars. So it's going to be a six speed with launch control, which is quite interesting. Probably uh, similar at Ford RS, Focus RS launch control type thing, which is, if, you, if you've got Ian McLaren's skill, then you can beat it even. Yeah. <laughs> I want to say also that, you know, these 0-200s and top speed in a car like this is actually irrelevant. I think mm. there's going to be a lot of traffic light uh, uh, jousting, but, and then it comes down to the driver, quite yeah, honestly. Much. And the, the, the nicest thing about a Fiesta ST was always its hand. So, you know, this, I don't really... It doesn't matter to me if you go 0 to 106.6 or 6.7 seconds, but I mean around a mountain pass and the tight twisty tracks that we've had a Fiesta ST around, that's when it comes into its own. So I was also relieved to read apparently the um, driver's seat drops lower than the, the previous generation that's one, indeed, so yeah. a bit like the Honda Civic Type R, it seems like they finally addressed that problem because in a lot of the fast forwards uh, of late, the driver's seat just doesn't drop low enough. You, you, you sit too tall. So, um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to the, the Fiesta ST. Um, yeah, and it obviously goes up against a Polo GTI. That's its kind of natural rival. But always the Fiesta always was a little bit more 
hard-edged and a bit more focused in terms of driving ability and the and the polo a little bit more a better all-rounder so we'll see how it goes well Adam you've had your fair share of our attaches uh, this one's gonna have optional mechanical front diff and uh, patented four spectrum swings you think this is gonna make a difference in this car well just going through all the specs I think like they've just said it's it's for the driver this is not for Mm. anything else and that's nice they focus mechanical front they great optional wonderful i was a bit sad when i hear it's going to be a triple yeah so but the engine size is still 1.5 so that that's fine i mean those specs except for the newton meters i might be wrong are similar to golf 5 gti mm, um, power figure so like ian said it's not about power but it's it's it is and will hopefully still be one of the most fun to drive cars. Yeah. There are some uh, couple of comments on Facebook that we got. I'm not sure if I'm going to read all of these, but uh, notable one is from Sakizwe Mchaya. I hope I pronounce your name properly. The previous Fiesta was not 100 in 6.9 seconds, but all tests around the world achieved around 7.5 seconds. This one is 6.5 and should expect it on 7 seconds when tested. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. They're saying basically being a manual on that. Most testers won't get the claimed figure. I can assure you we will not return to home base unless we've got sub 7 seconds with it. Um, worst case we'll see in nickel. <laughs> so yeah, looking forward to that. And then uh, frequent comment on this on our Facebook, Pokemoso. says 3 cylinder plus being a Ford equals it will catch fire Nico what do you have to say about that that's a very rude comment I think <laughs> it's not it's a wrong car here yeah. so uh, yeah let's just leave it at that then alright moving on uh, Ford has announced some new plans they haven't revealed any cars yet but they said that they're going to go on a full on off-roader in SUV offense they're going to revise the, li- the lineup and they're going to bring out the highly anticipated Bronco so they say by 2020 they're going to replace three quarters of its range in the States with four new pickup trucks and SUVs in the process. Um, and they've also released some teaser images of the Bronco. I think just the top one is the Bronco. The bottom one is probably a concept. But looking by the silhouette, it looks like it could be uh, true to the original. Ian, you are probably more excited about the Bronco than anyone else in the office. What's your, your comments on this? I don't know. I think the Bronco was kind of the original um, uh, kind of... Um, lifestyle SUV I don't know I mean before OJ Simpson made it famous by being chased by half the LAPD down down the highway I just remember you know even before we had things like a Nissan Sani and a, and a Suzy Frontier mm. here uh, I remember a Bronco it was it was rare I think it's I even had a Hot Wheels one it's a cool name though it's I've got a cool. Hot Wheels one yeah so um, yeah look the one under the covers the teaser image that looks really promising um, nice and squared off lines um, suitably rugged um, the other teaser image that they released is, the, in fact, their new little SUV, which um, they planning to launch. I would imagine it's going to be up against the likes of Volvo XC40, mm. that, that kind of size. So yeah, I mean, Ford has to do it. It's 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 a huge segment, and arguably they've been a little bit late to the party. Um, EcoSport and the likes are, are a bit long in the tooth. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's exciting for the brand. Um, yeah, and, and long may it last. Nickel Ford says they want to reclaim their rightful place as the off-road vehicle leader. Do you think yeah, that's Yeah, I don't know the marketing speak, I would say, but um, just talking about the Bronco, I remember when I was a child, my dad was interested, because a few Broncos made it to South Africa, mm. and they were V8s. 
and uh, we went for a test drive because he was interested in, in buying one and uh, my dad was going slowly up and down the road and the owner at the time of the Bronco said no 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 let me drive and he jumped in behind the steering wheel jumped a pavement into a park up a hill <laughs> and uh, I still remember the, the, the image of that and yeah it, like the V8 soundtrack and everything I just hope the, the new one now um, that it will indeed be the same persona almost as the, the car back then because I'll remember also the, the movies that we've seen, old cowboy movies and mm. everything if you see a, a vehicle driving it's a, it's a Bronco, maybe after cowboys they were on yeah, horses, <laughs> they were on horses. but uh, yeah, good guys, bad guys they were always uh, getting away in Broncos so mm. yeah, I'm looking forward to this Well, do you have any comments on no, SUV. I just well, I just hope it's like something like the Bronco will be proper off-road. Say mm. like the G-Class or the um, the FJ Cruiser, yeah. like the flocks, like proper, not just a lifestyle thing. There were also rumors that this is going to have a solid front axle, which is very interesting because we haven't seen a solid front axle SUV uh, in a long time. Mm. I don't think you get one today. Perhaps there's a reason. Yeah, perhaps there's a reason. Uh, also, the question is whether this will even make it to SA. Do you think that'd be a market? Well, Ford's global strategy that brought Mustang here, uh, yeah. you'd have to think the likes of uh, Bronco also fall into that. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it certainly would make sense. I think, uh, like, the, the big V8s, we might not see a big yeah. V8. Uh, probably. They boost. said they're going hybrid for most of their power tracks. Well, there you go. So. Yeah, um, a more controversial off-roader that we can talk about now, because we have pricing, is the Mercedes-Benz X-Class. Uh, X220D is going to be starting at 642,103. And the top of the range at the moment, X250D 4x4 Power Auto comes in at 818,105. And that is not shy of pricing, I think. And that's not even, that's before the V6 arrives. So yeah. that is, that is, um, what did we just decide we were going to bullish bullish, bullish. Yeah. pricing uh, considering its underpinnings are the same as a Nissan Navara, which is considerably cheaper than that. So yeah, I mean, it's, um, it's the question will be how much will you pay for the badge? I think um, you know, it's a, obviously Mercedes-Benz um, has done a lot of work on the Navara. They've been, they've, by all accounts, updated the quality, upgraded the quality. Um, they've, they've done their own interpretation of the ride, um, things like that. But I mean, that's that's more expensive than our favorite current bucky, which is the V6 Amarok. Mm. So yeah, and then just looking at some of these accessory prices, I mean, I'm not, I haven't shopped for a canopy of late, but I cannot believe sixty thousand rand. I would hope that that canopy doubles as a small house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, Nickel, you spent a fair share with buckies in your lifetime. Do you think this pricing warrants the product? Well, we'll have to drive it first, but. Yeah. The thing is, we knew it, it was going to be expensive, yeah. but to see it here on paper, just realize, whoa, it is, it is really expensive. And, and as Ian was saying, this is the 2.3 four-cylinder, remember, and that entry-level price is for the 4x2 manual, mm -hmm. which is also strange that the Mercedes would bring a manual gearbox. I would have thought of all of the lifestyle vehicles will all be automatic. Um, but yeah, if the top of the range 2.3 litre engine is at 818 and that's before you add some specification to it, what will the V6 top model be? That must be over a million. I'm guessing it's going to be just under a million, like 995 or I something mean, like that. I think they'll be sweating that they have to bring it under a million. Yeah, they won't be able to. Well, that, like Nico said, that top spec one is 818 mm. and the Amarok Extreme which we, we've got on our long term fleet is 784 
I mean, that's, I almost yeah. want to say you can't compare the two. Mm. <laughs> yeah, well, almost. Uh, if only someone would do would compare them. Um, yeah. Well, speaking about under a million, uh, you would be able to probably get that V6 over a million because uh, Ryan and I, we went to the configurator which is now live, and we managed to get the X250D 4x4 power manual up to 935 or 155,000 through specking all of the options and that included the automatic transmission which is an extra 27 grand some metallic paint was about four and a half thousand 19 inch alloys was 13 and a half uh leather was close to 15 grand so yeah not sure with the options and as ian mentioned the canopy is expensive um ian i know you were getting quotes for for canopies for navara earlier what did you get yeah i just did some phoning around and i mean i just don't know why you would order a canopy from mercedes-benz at that price when there's any number of canopy manufacturers in this country that surely will have a mold within the first week of the car being launched Mm. so i mean the pricing i got was a maximum and you're looking at top of the range canopy i would imagine that comes with maybe a small spoiler and and Mm. windows that open i don't know what else you need in a canopy but that was kind of 15 16 rand so yeah. I, I'm intrigued. I mean, I'm hoping it's a typo because I, I'm intrigued to know what a sixty thousand rand canopy <laughs> includes. But I must say the Mercedes X class must be an amazing case study, just in the way that they built the anticipation, the way they dragged out the launch of it, mm-hmm. and now revealed the pricing. And we'll get the vehicle soon. And I mean, I remember a time where when a double cab bucket cost more than half a million rand, we were all like looking <laughs> up into the sky and think this is impossible. And then Amarok took it to a next l- level and everyone was slated Amarok for being too expensive and how could they dare to charge over 700,000 rand for a bucket. And now we're at next level again. So it'll be interesting. And I think we'll have to see what the market thinks of this. I think brand loyalty will be pushed to the maximum with this we'll see how much people are prepared to pay for a certain brand i'm looking forward to seeing the sales figures on this yeah i mean it's a matter of time until one of the supercar companies bought the bucky right (laughs) and we'll see three million and i don't know i think everyone i think there's a lot of people including ourselves waiting to see this how x-class does i think bmw audi they'll all be having a a kind of a side glance at at how it does I, i can't help but think unless it's incredibly good to drive that there will be a there'll be an initial novelty factor around it mm. and then i then i think they'll struggle to justify the pricing with that being said let's uh, look at some of the comments we got on facebook uh jl lubisi said it can't be that ugly and be expensive that's a bit harsh uh people won't buy it this car is ugly at the back it looks like one of those gwm buckies considering that those prices Excluding styling bars, it won't survive. I bet it won't sell more than 200 units per month. So yeah, Arsh on the looks, um, 200 units a month, I think, for a bucket that price wouldn't actually be a bad figure. I think they'd be happy with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, if Francois Gerick says, I grew up in Mercedes, my old man only drove Mercs, I love the brand, and is owned for myself, but this is one ugly bucky. Maybe the Santon Dunnies will appreciate its looks. But it's not my cup of tea i'll stick to the amarok then same as myself grew up in a family of mercedes-benz owners still do um i don't think any of them will be interested in this bucky uh you and i often look at classic mercs on country uh do you think this is a bucky we'll be looking at one time in the future (laughs) no i don't think so i just think it's the i mean we, we understand then that manufacturers must share underpinnings and that's our type of thing but I mean this is 
too much closeness mm. with an, another company. I mean, we understand maybe they must do it f- to save money, obviously, but um, yeah, we have to see when we drive it if it's worth that money. Yeah. Um, last comment, Ferrari Chingono. Hope I pronounce your name correctly as well. Obviously, it is targeted to a niche badge-conscious buyer rather than the mass who are value-for-money conscious. In that case, you get yourself Hilux or the Ranger. For performance, all of a sudden, the Amarok looks way cheap. That's what we said. Uh, Amarok yeah. all of a sudden looks like a deal. Um, so yeah, a lot of negative comments around this X-Class, which means it's going to be very interesting to see how it does in the markets. Um, unfortunately, Mercedes don't really declare the sell, so we'll never know how much they actually sell. Um, We've got inside okay. information. Great news, Nico. Thanks. We'll look to you for the next one. Uh, moving on to what we've driven. We've got something, I'd say, very special at the moment, all the way from China. It is called the BAIC. I call it bike, but everyone says we shouldn't be calling it bike because they get confused. Uh, but it's the, the BAIC X25. Um, we've actually got it on test at the moment for the elements. your test car. Uh, you want to tell us more about it? Yes, so this is actually one of the cars that will be manufactured in PE once the factory is up and running. Mm. Um, if listeners don't know, they f- are investing 11 billion rand in SA in PE where they will start the manufacturing plant. So yes, it's um, uh, to sum it up, Nikki, I think you actually sum it up as well. It's not as good as a Val, mm-hmm. but it's not by far a stretch of the imagination the worst car we've driven mm, um, it's it's a rough engine according to um, the company it's based on the smart 4.4 they didn't say which platform but we assume it's it, it's a previous one so it, it, it's rough uh, when you drive it um, there's some wind noise the engine is is loud there's some noise intrusion into the cabin but uh, it's actually fine the interior is not um, that bad it's like cloth and um, polyurethane seats mm. it's fairly spacious up front in the back it's a bit limited um, so I- again pricing we're looking at we've got the 1.5 fashion model which includes some exterior trim like the red calipers and the roof rails and some other stuff inside um, but for many for 255 so 25 grand more you can start buying a Ford EcoSport mm. Um, the Aval H1 is 160 okay that is a bit smaller yeah so that's 70 grand difference so yeah so f- they I think they're taking a chance of that pricing but um, Ian you yeah I didn't I didn't mind it at all I I, um, I think it's got character I think it's it feels fairly well put together uh, it's got a nice gearbox actually that it's got a five-seat manual transmission and, and that helps it a lot so um, it's not a chore to find gears and you're not grating gears or stalling it. So it's, I found it quite easy to drive. And I actually think if this is their starting point, they're one generation away from being mm. really, really Getting good. a property fine. So, you know, like we've seen with the, all the other Chinese brands, all the ones that have, that, have, that have survived, is they learn so quickly. So one generation car will have this and will complain about wind noise. Within a generation or maybe even a facelift later, they've corrected that. So even even they they're learning even quicker than the Koreans did um, over over that period of time. So 
Yeah, not not a bad little little offering. Um, I think it's, it looks good too. Um, we've got a nice burnt orange color. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I think good for them. And and also eleven billion rand investment in South Africa. I mean, that's incredible. Yeah, that's notable. So yeah, kudos to them. And yeah, I, I think they deserve to do well. Um, let's see how they do. Yeah, I took it for a spin as well. My only gripe is definitely the engine. It says eighty five kilowatts. But, ah, that must be achieved at where like five and a half thousand RPM. Yeah, there's nothing at the bottom. It it only sort of kicks off from four thousand, and then that last thousand five hundred it gets really noisy. Yeah, but like Ian said, nice smooth gearbox. Um, this infotainment system, Bluetooth. USB. The infotainment system is probably the highlight yeah. for me. I yeah. really do like that system. I think it has screen mirroring as well for the phones. I haven't yeah. really tested yeah. it out yet. I for for iPhone and Android. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how this car does in the future. Nicole, you haven't driven it yet. No, I haven't, but I just think for a, a new brand to enter our market is extremely difficult. Mm. Um, we have such a brand-conscious market, and, and you have to stay in this market for a long time before people start to trust you. I think the investment, as Ian said, is, goes a long way. There's not a lot of uh, importers, or there is a lot of importers of cars in South Africa which actually don't contribute a lot to the local economy. So to see the 11 billion investment is almost like already a positive sign for me that they're here to stay and uh, it will take a couple of years before we sort of get to know the name get to know to trust them to see how durable they are um, over a period of time and um, yeah let's let's see what happens but i think let's be open-minded let's give them a chance and then, then we see what happens uh, before we move on i just did have one question about this uh, baic uh, is there a dealer network that's going to come up here in SA or is it going to be sold through another dealership because I haven't found any information I haven't about checked that. I think there's going to be a dealer network but I'm not sure because I've had a couple of phone calls people asking where can I buy this car and you would have to think with 11 billion rand investment they'd have they to need some dealers in there and some workshops so it also depends um, uh, on, w on what components they're using so perhaps there's a chance that there's some shared componentry with other brands actually okay. they've got um at this stage, 12 dealers in okay. the country. Oh, yeah. yeah. All right. Should probably see where they're located. Um, anyways, well, then we do something else all the way in India. Yes, so it was actually already in January, but there was an embargo on the experience. It's the new Suzuki Swift. Now, th what's amazing for me about the Swift is um, it's selling, I think last month it sold three or 400 mm. units, and that car is basically 10 years old. Yeah, it's pretty old. So that, that's like, say like the C-Class Merc. Before, in the months leading up to a new car, they're still selling hundreds of them. So people love the Swift. Mm. So I was looking forward to driving it. Uh, we didn't drive it too far outside um, Mumbai in India. In the countryside, they were about um, scared that because of the Indian traffic, <laughs> accidents gonna happen. So it was a short route, um, some straight roads, nice twisty mountain pass. Um, what's amazing is that it's 80 kilograms lighter than before. Now, if you cut 80 kilograms or 90 from the Ferrari 488 GTB, it's, it's, it's a lot. Mm -hmm. If you cut 80 kilograms from the, such a small car, it makes a big difference. So the engine is actually the same, a similar power and torque. They've refined it. So it's, it's nippy. I mean, it, it's lighter. At one stage, we were four adult men in the car and it was fine um, good handling comfortable to drive um, interior is a bit of a step up but still sort of the solid plasticky kind of interior um, but yes no I think it's going to be 
as before we hit in South Africa. And um, yeah, I was quite uh, Don't you find that, uh, I mean, th- those are impressive numbers and, and Swift does well, but I think they could probably do even better. I, th- I always find that Swift is underrated. Mm. People ask us in that segment what to buy and you yeah. always default to Polo and Fiesta and things like that. And I suppose Swift might be a little bit cheaper mm. than those, but it's a hell of a good car. It it's got a good, good reputation. Uh, we never hear about them breaking down. No. Um, by all accounts, resale within the, the that segment is pretty good. So yeah, I mean, it's exciting. Um, and Suzuki's certainly riding the crest of a wave. A few nice products, especially the little city cars, the Ignis and the like. Um, yeah, so yeah, looking forward to, to experiencing it. Yeah. I mean, it's the same case with the Bologna that we got, you know, long-term test fleet. Um, admittedly, yeah. I was, okay, I wouldn't say I was actually looking forward to driving that car when it was assigned to me. And I've been enjoying every minute. It's not the most luxurious car. It's not very exciting, but yes. I think I think Bellino might be a might be a step too far for Suzuki in terms of. I, I think they make great city cars. Okay. So, uh, um, I forget now what the other ones are called, but I think Bellino is maybe maybe a bit too big in size. Like they had the Kizashi, which never sold. Well. But the Kizashi was at the time quite an expensive car for Suzuki. Yeah, I just think I think Suzuki does small cars really well. Okay. Um, so I think kind of Swift, Swift is as big as they go in terms of getting really popular. Well, yeah, we'll see the uh, Swift in South Africa when around June, June and the Sport is still under consideration. consideration. Well, let's hope it comes because that's that's uh, probably going to be a winner for them. Yeah, yeah I think that the last Sport was incredible. Yeah. Um, lastly, we had something in our garage that is quite a bit bigger. Then the X25 and the Swift, it was the facelifted Prado. Nickel, you had to go in the Prado for quite some time. You had it for, where did you take it? You took it for a road trip or something? No, I had it for a weekend and I took the family uh, to Grabo. Uh, I've got a friend there with a farm. And it was lovely to get reacquainted with the car. I mean, we all know a Prado and the latest one with a facelift, it really looks, looks the part. It actually won our facelift prize of top 12 uh, this year. And it looks part of the Land Cruiser family now. It, I think look-wise, it's it's great. And what you appreciate from the Prado is it's a, it's a large vehicle. So it's a proper seven-seat vehicle with electrically folded uh, third row um, of seats. And um, inside, it's it's vast. I mean, for family use, you can just load everything. Um, and it's a comfortable ride. It, the top of the spec model um, that, I, that we tested, the 3 liter DT VXL, is also a road test in, in our latest issue now on the shelves, um, comes with air suspension on the rear axle and also got adaptive uh, dampers. So you can change the, the ride in the car. So it is quite comfortable. And um, what that adaptive system also does is it's on the, on the sway bars of suspension. So you go off road, you can actually make it um, softer in the sense that you get more wheel travel when you go off-road but uh, it helps you dynamically if you're on-road um, but remember that the Prado is a is an easy-going comfortable vehicle it doesn't it doesn't try to compete with the Germans out there it's a sort of car that you get in and you aim north Africa and I mean this this thing feels unburstable from behind the, st- the steering wheel um, it really feels solid it, it unfortunately it's still launched with the or fortunately whichever way you look at it with a three liter d4d engine that the previous highlight and fortune came out with so it's it, it's not the same power as you get in in a fortunate 2.8 it's only got 120 kilowatts and 400 newton meters but 
it is much more happy to tow 500 ppm sulfur diesel so when you go to Botswana or Mozambique you can't get to 50 ppm you're still fine with the, with the Prado and you just get a feeling that it will never let you down um, it's that unburstable feeling from behind the steering wheel um, but I must say one thing that bugged me the whole weekend when I was driving this car is is it worth the premium over a top of the range Fortuner um, and we're talking about a 300k difference here because I think Prado pricing has sort of slipped under the radar and has crept up, crept up and is now almost at a million rand for the top spec model which I know we know car pricing has gone up but I think this is, this is quite a bit of money for, for the Prado these days um, seeing that you can get its bigger brother the Land Cruiser 200 for also under a million the entry level model the top spec model you'll pay 1.3 million for um, but then, then I thought to myself, okay, what do you get over a, 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 a Fortuner? So what you get is loads of extra specs. So you get like a cooler box in the center to keep your drinks cool. You get electrically adjusted steering wheel. Um, you get heated and cooled seats. You get heated seats in the second row. Obviously the electrical the third row. And then you get that fancy suspension. And obviously uh, off-road modes as well. That you can do your, your your crawl mode you can go downhill and select the speed and you can do sand and mud and all those kind of off-road modes so you do get a, a quite a bit of extra spec but is it worth three hundred thousand rands and we actually um, asked the question to our uh, readers and our online uh, viewers out there and quite a mixed response some people actually own both a fortuner and a prado and they would swear by the prado so it's definitely worth the extra money um, the, the Fortuner is not really in the same league as a Land Cruiser, but I maybe I'll put the question around the table. Do you guys think it's worth the 300k over the top of the range Fortuner? I personally do. I think if I had the money, I wouldn't be looking at a Fortuner. If I was in that league, I would go straight to, to Prado. Um, for me, it's a size thing, um, so you definitely get more usable space. Um, one of my big bugbears about the current Fortuner is that the seats don't, the third mm. row of seats don't fold flat. So it compromises luggage space. So the Prado, you've got a flat luggage space when you don't need the seats. I think the guys driving a Prado are quite happy that they're driving a Prado and not a Fortuna. And I think a Fortuna driver envies a guy who's driving a Prado. So, I, I mean, it's a lot of money, and I certainly don't have that kind of money. But I think if you're in that league and you're doing serious uh, adventures, um, I think it's worth it. I also think... The, the Land Cruiser 200 is a, is a level up in terms of size. That's a little bit less usable in terms of everyday. Um, so a Prado is big car, still difficult, still not easy to park, but probably just, just about the right size. So, yeah, I would go Prado every day. Lovely car. Yeah, it's, it's a tricky one. I think it, it depends what you're going to do with your car. Um, mm. How often you're going to use it. Is it going to be a daily driver? I think the f on the one side, f if you put that 330,000 in the bank or do something with it, and um, you want to go into Africa and you want to kit out your fortune, it can go a long way. Mm. So um, I hear what Ian is saying, but maybe just taking your fortune and spend that money somewhere else, you'll, um, you'll be well off. Spend your money, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I know... Uh, Probably in the Western Cape, we're going to see more Fortuners than Prados. But when I was in Messina over December, we just saw Prados and Land Cruises and, uh, and Iluxes. And then now and then you'd see a Fortuner or a Rav4, maybe. What to me is also interesting with the pricing of Prado, which is now pushing a million Rand, is that there, there's always been 
the fight between the old competitor or that it's been a, a long time rivalship between Mitsubishi Pajero and the Prado. Mm. And the top of the range Pajero now goes for seven, eight, nine, so under 800,000 rands. Now, that vehicle isn't quite to the spec level of the Prado, but it's a big price gap now to Prado. It was like Prado's pulled ahead and maybe they've got the market and, and maybe it's, it's worth that extra money. But as I say, I think it's a bit of a bullish pricing from Toyota because they know they will sell them. And it is a good vehicle. What I also can say is what I see secondhand is that they carry the price premium with them secondhand. Mm -hmm. So you spend a lot of money for your new car, but you do get a lot back when once you want to sell it again. So there you have it. You've heard the word bullish a few times <laughs> in a podcast. And I'd like to just end off by saying, uh, Nickel mentioned that the car feels unburstable. Uh, I'm not a technical man myself, but I'd love to know what happens when a car bursts. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, uh, that's all we have time for. A uh, lot of bullish cars that we spoke about today. Um, thanks for joining us, and we will see you again next week. Thanks, guys. Cheers, all. Thank you.